This is the Center for Strategic and International Studies Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Welcome to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk here at CSIS in Washington. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. My guests today are retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel Kate Germano and award-winning journalist Kelly Kennedy, who's also an Army vet. They are the co-authors of the new book, Fight Like a Girl, the truth behind how female Marines are trained. Lieutenant Colonel Germano commanded the 4th Recruit Training Battalion at Paris Island, South Carolina, and was fired from that post in 2015 for what the Marine Corps said was a, quote, lack of trust and confidence. Others say she simply challenged the status quo, instituted reforms that improved recruit training and performance, and basically disproved a controversial Marine gender integration study that said all male units outperformed mixed gender units, actions that were not popular with her superiors. Thanks to you both for being here. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for having us. This book is a page turner, <laughs> I just have to say, and I want to know what made you write it. So it's such a good question. First, I want to say how lucky I've been to be able to partner with Kelly, and I feel bad for her, and I joke that she's been my therapist for the last few years. Um, I was approached to write the book by someone who had read a piece in the New York Times about my relief. It was a fairly controversial relief um, in the way that the Marine Corps carried it out. Technically, what happens normally is a one-line statement goes out to the press saying, this person's been relieved for lack of trust and confidence. And my case was very, very different. Uh, The the investigation was leaked to the media before I'd seen it, um, and it made it out to the media very quickly. And that contrasts with other people who've been relieved of duty and reporters saying that they couldn't get any information whatsoever. Absolutely. The investigation was released within, I think, 72 hours to the media, uh, like I said, before I had even seen it and known what I was being accused of. And that was highly irregular, highly well, irregular. And we also just found out this week that that one of the reporters called for information and they told her to FOIA the investigation. She had it within 24 hours. They told she her to it was expedite the... it, her request. Yeah. <laughs> really? She said that had never happened before. And probably never, never happened again. again. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. don't know that, but right. that's probably the, right. the assumption. And there are a number of issues raised in this book. And I want to start with the traditionally separate training of men and women Marine recruits. I did read where that's beginning to change. Is it really or is it still separate training for men and women in the Marines? So it's really, really interesting. Just in the last month, there have been two articles that have come out in the the news where the assistant commandants come out and said, we're doing a better job of bringing male and female recruits together during training events. But there have been no policy changes to formally recognize these changes uh, at Paris Island. And there hasn't been any move to integrate boot camp on the West Coast. There are two places where Marines are made. Female Marines are only made at Paris Island. And so the concern that I have and that I've had all along during this process is that this is just a way to preempt any negative press from the book um, to try to make it look like the Marine Corps is becoming progressive about making changes. Men and women train together in all the other branches of the military. It's just the Marines that do this. My follow-up was you are an Army vet. You served in Iraq, I believe. 
Desert Storm. In Desert Storm. Uh, and the arm does what does the army do it, to com, to give people a sense of comparing what we're talking about? Well, so when I went through, it was 1987, and it was separate back then. Since then, I think it was 1991, they, they integrated it. So it's been years since the other services started integrating basic training, where men and women train right next to each other. So 20 years after I went through basic, I went back and, and saw how it was done now. And it's they're next to each other at every minute. And, and I think it's really important, Beverly, to point out that the justification that the Marine Corps has maintained for why segregation is so necessary is not something that can be quantified. There's no data to support their theory. And their theory has always been that segregation is the only way to create confidence in female recruits. What I found when I got to Paris Island was that the results didn't support that theory. And I want to follow up on that because what is or was the impact of separate training for men and women? It's a great question. What my personal observations were, uh, you know, they included the fact that because the women were geographically separated from the other training units on the base, it was almost that there was a, a hands-off approach that was adopted by the male leadership. So virtually every single senior leader on the base um, was a man, and their approach generally tended to be uh, uh, that they didn't want to visit the battalion for fear of the perception that would be created by their visiting. And so for 40 years, the women were allowed to underperform, um, which then cr perpetuated the stereotype that, oh, well, women just aren't strong enough mentally and physically to compete with their male counterparts. So it became this vicious cycle um, that I, I tried to interrupt and I tried to interject myself into um, for uh, – you know, for the sake of improving the Marines that we were making. You write in the book about the 4th Battalion being referred to as, quote, the fourth dimension, meaning it operated in a world with different expectations, which you've talked about, but right down to a different dining hall, a different diet for the men and women recruits. I want you to talk about that. Uh, and how did, what happened when you did try to make the changes? But first, just talk about this geographic separation right down to the diet. Sure. So 4th Battalion's really unique in that it's this little tiny compound that is about maybe uh, 0.7 miles away from the male training battalion. So on Paris Island, there are four training battalions, three of which train men and then the one that trains women. Um, and we, for whatever reason, were located right by family housing, by the theater, not by anything remotely connected to training. The male recruits all attend classes in a consolidated academic facility. They all eat in the same dining facility with the, the regular diet where they can pick whatever they want, and that's a form of developing discipline about physical health. The women, on the other hand, live in this little tiny compound that was built about 60 years ago, um, and it's all self-contained. So we have our own tailor. There's, uh, you know, they have their own little shop to buy supplies. They have their own uh, barber shop, a beauty shop. They have their own medical facility, their own classrooms, their own squad base where the recruits live. And so it's literally isolated in terms of geography and space and time. Um, but I think what I found is that that creates mental distance, and that mental distance is really what perpetuates the negative stereotypes about women um, and resulted in that hands-off approach by the leadership. Is it true that they that the, the women weren't allowed to have sweets? It is very true. So, so 
just as in the rest of the Marine Corps, because there are so few of us, one of us represents all of us. So if there is a recruit who comes into the battalion at 4th Battalion and she happens to be overweight, as opposed to teaching sound nutritional habits and reinforcing how physical fitness will improve your weight if you exercise and you take control of your diet, what we do is we tell no female recruits, we tell all female recruits, you're not allowed to have any sweets. So again, there is a different perception about how women need to be treated um, than in the male battalions, where if you go into the dining facility there, where a lot of the actual Marines who are working there eat, they have everything you could desire, whether it's a salad bar or whether it's dessert, and they trust the recruits to make smart choices um, based on you know what they feel like they need for nutrition. I know this sounded like we went way in the weeds, but <laughs> I wanted you to establish just how separate it is. It's not just about separate physical training. Uh, you tried to change the status quo. Talk about what you did and how difficult it was to actually make it happen. So the first thing I noticed when I got to Paris Island was that it was like nowhere else in the rest of the Marine Corps. Um, and when I say that, what I mean is that behavior and conduct that were taking place in my battalion were so far off the map. They were so not the norm in terms of what we expect of Marines that I realized I had a discipline problem. And when I dug deeper into that, my, my predecessor said, uh, you know, look, it's going to be like tears or cupcakes. These women are either going to be sitting on your couch crying or they're going to be baking you cupcakes. That was during our turnover before I took command. And I thought to myself, my goodness, that's <laughs> that is so unlike anywhere else in the Marine Corps. If I were taking over a, an integrated recruiting station again, in, as I did in uh, San Diego, I would never have heard that about my male Marines. But here I am being told that an all-female unit is like tears or cupcakes. So I, I had reservations going in. Um, but what I was most concerned about when I got there was the fact that because there had been a hands-off approach to leadership, there was a lot of abuse going on. Junior drill instructors were being abused by the more senior drill instructors, and the recruits were being abused mentally. They were being um, physically abused in terms of pinching, pushing, slapping. All of the things that we don't need to do to make Marines were happening at 4th Battalion. And so when I took over, my first initiative was to change the expectations in terms of accountability and how we thought we were making good Marines. Um, part of that was by focusing on personal accountability with my drill instructors and my company staff. And then part of that was also proving that the female recruits were stronger, faster, tougher, so that we could change perceptions outside of the battalion. Under your leadership, the, this is one specific example I pulled from the book, the rifle qualifications for women at Paris Island improved from 79% to 91%. But you write that those improvements were not greeted with cheers. Right. Right. What happened? So, uh, you know, unfortunately, timing is everything. And so when I got to Paris Island and I was determined to make the battalion better than it was when I took over, I saw making Marines stronger and faster and tougher as a a benefit to the entire Marine Corps because these women go everywhere. They go to every unit in the Marine Corps. And so I I'll never forget, I, I happened to go to my husband's retirement. My husband worked directly for General Dunford, who was then the commandant. And we were sitting in General Dunford's office with my husband's parents and me. 
and the, the commandant asked how things were going at Paris Island. And I said, oh, sir, they're going so great. We're, we're doing everything we can to make these women tougher and faster and stronger. And they're improving their rifle range scores. And it, it's all because we know the end of the band on women in ground combat is coming. And I'll never forget the things you think about in hindsight. He leaned forward in his chair and he looked right at me with this deadpan expression on his face. And he said, oh, no, we're not there yet. And this, I thought, uh-oh, I, you know, I'm in trouble. So timing is everything in the sense that as we were making all of these improvements and showing that women could be better, the commandant was conducting his um, integrated task force experiment with the, what I believed is a, you know, the, the desire at the end state was to show that women couldn't perform to the, the level needed to perform in ground combat roles. And indeed, that was the result of that st- $35 million study. Yes. That was what it found. And so the narrative at 4th Battalion conflicted directly with kind of what the outcome was going to be. And since you mentioned General Dunford, who is the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I want to throw out this question. Um, this book takes no prisoners. You name names of senior leadership uh, all throughout the book, uh, his included. Uh what message are you hoping to send by speaking very bluntly about some of the issues and challenges you faced from people who are in the senior leadership of the Marine Corps? So Kelly and I debated this extensively, and we chose to name the people in the senior leadership positions mainly because it is a fact that they set the tone for everything that happens in the Marine Corps. And so they're human beings, just like everybody else. We had this discussion earlier. So I'm flawed. I know I've made mistakes. They're also flawed. And some of their preconceived uh, notions about women and their personal biases about women are now affecting policy and they're affecting our national defense. Um, When I was relieved, it was done in a very public way. And it was done in a way that would embarrass me to the point where I think the Marine Corps was hoping I would just crawl away into a corner and stay silent. And so um, I think it's important to call people out when they contribute to negative perceptions. And I think that it's really important for the American public to understand that these are policymakers and we need to hold them accountable for making the right decisions, not decisions that are based on personal bias, as we have in this case. And on the other hand, the, the younger women who were working for Kate they still have, I mean, they've seen Kate's leadership. They've come out of this. They've had time to to think about it. If you're younger than Kate was, you still have a chance to to turn things around and learn from this. I want to remind our listeners, you are listening to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk. My guests are Kate Germano and Kelly Kennedy, the authors of the new book, Fight Like a Girl, The Truth Behind How female Marines are trained. Follow us on Twitter at Smart Women. I'm at Beverly Kirk. You can follow Kate at Kate underscore Germano, and let me spell that, G-E-R-M-A-N-O, and follow Kelly at Kelly S. Kennedy. You guys are both on Twitter. I follow you. you you're very you're very active uh, in social media, and I assume that uh, your, your accounts will be critical in promoting this book. Uh, I think so. I can tell you, I am very concerned about the Marine Corps reaction of the book. Um, we just met a Marine Colonel downstairs, and I think you saw I was I was bracing myself for impact. My hope is that uh, the Marine Corps looks at the book with a an unjaded eye, and it's a mechanism for change. Have you had other folks who are on active duty pre-read the book? Have you been able to get a sense of what people think about it 
even before it hits the bookshelves? So we, what I don't want to have is an echo chamber. And I think Kelly and I have talked about this. I talk about it with my husband quite a bit. So I don't, I don't really use any other forms of social media other than Twitter. Um, and my concern is that I don't want to have, I don't want to operate in, in an echo chamber. I don't want everybody talking about things as if they're fantastic when on the other opposing side, you know, there's a different perception. And so I welcome feedback. Um, the book comes out the 3rd of April. Amazon is shipping it so that it arrives on the 3rd of April. Um, I am anxious about the feedback, but, you know, right now we're waiting for the book to come out so people can read it. Yeah, I think I think that people are going to read the book and they may not agree with everything that Kate has to say. I don't necessarily agree with everything that Kate has to say, but I don't think you can walk away from the, the book without understanding that some of the points she made are legitimate. So I hope it sparks a really good conversation. Well, the book is coming at a time when the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement are both in the news and it's also coming at a time when the Marine Corps itself has had to grapple with the Marines United scandal. And just as a reminder to folks, that was the scandal that happened when nude photos of women Marines were posted on the internet. Um, what has to happen to change the culture of the Marine Corps? And how important is it that this part of the conversation uh, specific to a branch of the military is happening at the same time as the Me Too movement sure. and the Time's Up movement? I, so really, it, the reason that Kelly and I were so passionate about the book is because we did want it to bridge the gap, the civ mill gap between uh, women who've never served and women who may be serving today. There is a broad range of, of misunderstanding about why women serve, how they serve. We thought it was important to write the book to show that the issues that women face in the Marine Corps and in the military are the same issues that women face in the outside world. And the root causes are the same. And for me, that's mainly that there's a really lopsided power dynamic. So um, it's fundamentally important for me to show that one of the problems that the Marine Corps has in this perpetual cycle of abuse against women is that we're only 9%. We're just under 9% of the total population. We virtually hold so few uh, power um, jobs, if you will, that women are not at the table when critical decisions need to be made. And, and there seems to be a perception by the male leadership that you only need to bring women to the table when things like Marines United happen. The bottom line is that from a strategic view for our national defense, women need to be integrated into every aspect of operational planning. So I think it's uh, the biggest takeaway for me from a how do we change the culture perspective is we have to bring in more women. And the women that we bring in need to be encouraged to stay so that they can then take on those power jobs, those powerful positions, the positions with authority where they can actually change policies. You write about gender issues from a couple different perspectives in the, in the Marine Corps. One, it's women trying to fit into the Marine Corps culture, the go-along-to-get-along club culture, uh, wanting to be, for lack of a better phrase, one of the boys. Um, does that make you turn a blind eye to what's happening uh, I, yeah. around? I, I, I mean, I'm going to let you in on a little dirty secret that Kelly and I have talked about many times. I mean, in the book, I try to be really transparent in terms of the mistakes that I made when I was coming up through the ranks. And yes. And you talk about one that's specific, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Absolutely. I mean, the bottom line is that I think you absolutely do because you're in a survival mode. You're in the mode of competing against all of these men for these key billets and key jobs and key schools. 
And because of that, you don't want to paint be painted with the same brush as women who are struggling. And so rather than reach back and mentor them and guide them and help them, we tend to create distance because we don't want to be associated with them. So we try to create ourselves as the exceptional women. And the reality is we're never going to be exceptional because we're not we're not fully welcomed into the club. And so we do those women a disservice. And I experienced that with one of my own sergeants who I loved, who came to me um, about two years after she had had a negative uh, experience and told me that I had let her down. Um, and so that was a fundamental shift in my thinking was, wow, here I am thinking, you know, I have to prove myself every day, but I'm letting all of the women behind me down because I'm not championing being a champion for their issues and I'm not taking on their issues and fighting for them. And so that was a really big issue. It was a, um, I was really disappointed in myself for that. That was the chapter I'm proudest of Kate for. I mean, I know she had to live through, relive through a lot of, of horrible things, but but for her to own up to that, it just, there hasn't been another senior officer who's done that. And as someone who served as an enlisted soldier, there wasn't anyone in my group that did that. So I'm really proud of her for that. And you alluded to the second issue that, or the second way that you write about uh, gender, and that is women not supporting each other. Absolutely. What has to change to make that something that women do, as you mentioned, open the door and hold it hold it open for those who are behind you? So first, it's the numbers game, right? The more women we have, the less likely we will feel like we are the only one and that we're constantly fighting against others for key positions and promotions, et cetera. The second thing is I think we all need to realize that we have to have male allies in this fight. And so people who don't understand that are missing the boat. As such a small and extreme minority in the military, whether it's the Marine Corps or any other service, we're never going to win this battle by fighting it on our own. So we have to develop relationships with men who will help champion us and our our causes and, and the problems that we face um, in a way that will then make the services stronger. Um, because we're never going to get there on our own. And that's true everywhere else in the workforce. It's not just specific to the military, which is another thing that Kelly and I wanted to show in the book. Did it make it harder for you to identify the the sergeant you talked about who was struggling because of of the culture in the Marine Corps and the reluctance to the reluctance to be seen as as helping someone? I, I absolutely. I mean, I think that that's the crisis that women have. So for so long, particularly senior Marine women, for so long, we have abandoned the Lance Corporals and the first lieutenants and second lieutenants and basically made them bear the weight of problems with harassment and assault and retaliation because we didn't want to associate with them and, and be considered the dirty word of a gender advocate or a feminist. And I can't even imagine the trauma that that causes in those Marines. And so it is absolutely, um, it's devastating to me to see that that continues to happen today. And we have to change that. And I think that's service-wide. I don't think that's just Marine Corps. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So let's talk about the title of your book. It's called Fight Like a Girl. And traditionally, that term has had a negative connotation. But you say that you want to change that connotation. Right. Talk about that. So I'm not a fan of calling women girls. I just have to put that disclaimer out <laughs> up front. But the 
title of the book came from the Always commercial from the 2015 Super Bowl. And I don't know if you remember, but the commercial. I do remember that. Yeah, the little yes. girl. They show the 16, 17-year-old girl, and the, the producer says, show me what it looks like to run like a girl. And the, she, the girl starts flailing and flipping her hair and, uh, you know, groaning and moaning. And then they ask the same thing of a five- or six-year-old girl. Uh-huh. And that little girl stands and runs in place in a dead sprint and has this incredible expression of strength and determination. And to me, when I saw that commercial, it became the mantra. It became the representation of everything I was trying to do at 4th Battalion. Because I wanted to show the women who were coming to 4th Battalion, whether they were already Marines or they were on the journey to become Marines, I wanted them to see that this was an opportunity to become something that society wouldn't let them become um, because of all these perceptions we have about women. And I wanted them to know that this was the opportunity for them to return to that five-year-old, that six-year-old who was determined and strong and didn't care what she looked like. Have you bounced back from all of this? Um, you know, I am very honest in the book. I, I'm human. I do a lot of things wrong. I make a lot of mistakes every day. Um, But one of the things that I try to be really honest about in the book is that I struggled for a long time with depression. And I came very close to ending my time on the planet as this was unfolding. It was a a crisis that um, was very difficult to deal with. And I was fortunate that I had my husband, I had my family, I had friends. Um, But I struggle, I continue to struggle with the confidence issues that come with being relieved in such a public way and being told I was a bad person. Um, So I struggle with that. But I can say that, to me, that's also part of the human spirit. And so I may not be the strongest person on the planet, but if I can show other women and men who struggle with mental health and depression issues that things do get better and you can get better, Uh, To me, that would be one of the best things that will come out of the book. I think just sitting here listening to you admit the how deeply, how deeply you struggled, uh, will help a lot of people, uh, because it it it's something to hear someone who has had your career and been at the leadership level you've been, actually admit in a public in a public setting, um, what what you did. Advice for young women listening to this podcast who may want to serve their country as Marines. What do you tell them, given everything we've just talked about? It's such a tough question, and I wrestle with this every day because one of the concerns that I have with the book coming out from the Marine audience perspective is I don't want this book to ever be perceived as me trying to get back at the Marine Corps for what happened. This story has always, always, always been about the issues that women face and what we need to do better for our national defense. Um, I am still a lover of the Marine Corps. I'm very passionate about the Marine Corps. I'll never, ever not be proud of my service. And so it would be really hard for me to look a 15 or 16-year-old strong woman in the face who wanted to join the Marine Corps and tell her, oh, no, you don't want to do that because it's not the place for you. My strong hope, my passion, my my honest belief is that the Marine Corps will fix what's happening because talent will go where talent's appreciated and we're going to lose a huge portion of the talent pool if we don't get smart. And Kelly, final thoughts? Oh, sure. If you're thinking about joining the military, learn from our lessons and lift each other up. There's, there's opportunity to support each other in the ranks. Absolutely. 
Kate Germano and Kelly Kennedy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you thank so you. much. The book is called Fight Like a Girl, The Truth Behind How Female Marines Are Trained. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Beverly Kirk. We're at Smart Women. You can follow Kate at Kate Germano, and that's Kate underscore Germano, and follow Kelly at Kelly S. Kennedy. Thank you for listening. For more information, go to CSIS.org and subscribe to our podcasts.